And we're going to look at this passage that Dean read for us, Luke 6, 27 to 36. If you're using the uh, seat Bible from the seat in front of you, you'll find Luke 6 on page 729. I find today's text to be quite a challenging one. And uh, so I asked for some help this past week, uh, which I wanted to share with you this morning. And here's how it started. Dear Luke, or should I call you St. Luke? I'm writing to you about what I wrote in Luke, or what you wrote in Luke 6, 27 to 36, the part in Jesus' sermon when he talks about loving our enemies. I'm supposed to preach on this text next Sunday, and I have some concerns about it. Do you have time to help? Sincerely yours, Concerned Bible Teacher. Dear Concerned Bible Teacher is the response I got back. Thank you for your interest in this particular passage. It's one that many people skip right over, and so I'm glad you're taking it seriously. I'm available. What are your concerns? Sincerely yours, Luke. Dear Luke, thank you for making time. I guess my first concern is about loving our enemies. That's a striking statement, and it makes a nice sentiment, I guess, but what does Jesus really mean by it? Does it just mean to not hate our enemies? Does it mean to think good thoughts about them? Or does it mean that we should actually feel warm feelings in our hearts toward them? I think you'll agree that love is a slippery thing, especially when it comes to our enemies. It's not like they're going to give us a chance to give them warm hugs or anything. Sincerely, Concerned Bible Teacher. Dear Concerned Bible Teacher, for Jesus, yeah, get used to it. Uh, <laughs> For Jesus, love was practical. Whatever else love is, it has to be reflected in our choices and actions. That's why Jesus went on in his sermon to give examples of how we are to love our enemies. I recorded several of them for you. Look at verses 27 to 30. To love our enemies means to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who mistreat us. It means that if someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn the other to them also. In our culture, that's not about physical violence so much as about being insulted. Jesus' point is, don't retaliate. Stand there. Let them insult you some more. Love also means if someone takes your coat, you do not withhold your shirt from them. It means that you give to those who beg you for help. And if someone takes what is yours, you do not demand it back. That's what it means to love your enemies. Does that make sense? Sincerely, Luke. Dear Luke, I was afraid you'd say that. <laughs> I guess my next concern is that hardly any of the Christians I know are seriously trying to do much of this stuff. I have sat in several Bible studies over the years on this passage where people talked themselves right out of having to take any of this seriously. They analyzed the verses, they rationalized them, until they concluded that the verses just mean we should be a little nicer to people. I've heard sermons on these verses which have done similar things. By the time the preacher was done, you either thought the teaching isn't relevant to us anymore, or that it just means that it's calling us to avoid road rage when someone cuts us off on the highway. Luke, how do I get people to take these verses seriously? Sincerely, Concerned Bible Teacher. Dear Concerned Bible Teacher, I'm not sure I understand the part about road rage and highways, but here's what I'd suggest. Instead of worrying about other people, maybe you should look at yourself. 
What do you believe these verses mean for your own life? Are you living by Jesus' teaching on these matters? Sincerely, Luke. Dear Luke, okay, good point. I guess it does start with me, huh? Well, let me be as honest as I can. I've never had a big problem with the idea of loving your enemies because that's pretty general. And so, like I said, it doesn't mean that much in my daily life. I don't have a lot of enemies. And I think in general, I do try to think well of everyone, whether I like them or not. Although there was a time when I had some people get really mad at me because they disagreed with a decision that I'd been involved in making. And they accused me of things I didn't do. And they twisted my motives to make me seem really bad. What is worse, they spread this around to others to turn other people against me. A few of them told me what I wanted to hear to my face, but then they went out and they did the opposite. In a few weeks, they tore down a lot of what I had worked for years to build up. It, or I, was really hurt and angry, and and I wasn't able to love those people at the time, though eventually I was able to forgive them. But that took months or even years. I guess it's easier to love enemies when you don't really have any or when they're more or less behaving. But on second thought, when they get nasty, it is really hard to love them. Sincerely, Concerned Bible Teacher. Dear Concerned Bible Teacher, those are good insights. Love can get really hard when people hurt you badly. But what about the details that we talked about, where Jesus elaborates on practical ways we're to love our enemies? Are you trying to live out that part? Sincerely, Luke. Dear Luke, well, let me take it line by line. Do good to those who hate you. It's funny, there's a certain pleasure in that. Someone is being hateful to me, and I turn around and I treat them really nice. To be honest, it's almost like saying, nah, nah, I'm better than you are. (laughs) I'm not going to stoop to your level. But I guess that's not what Jesus had in mind. I suspect he is looking for a motive that's more genuine than wanting to spite them. I can see that Jesus would want me to do good to those who hate me. After all, he did good to those who hated him. And I'm supposed to imitate him, to follow his example. And to bless those who curse me. Well, I think that means the same thing, more or less, but applying it now to our words as well as to our actions. I should speak well of those who speak badly of me. That's hard, too, but I can accept that it's the right thing to do. That brings us to praying for those who mistreat us. I've heard preachers say that that it's hard to keep hating someone you're praying for. That's true. When I forced myself to pray for those who were treating me poorly, it it made me wrestle through with God what I was going to ask God to do for them, which forced me to deal with how I felt about them and, and how God viewed them. And yeah, after a while, I did find that my heart started to warm up to them, especially after God reminded me that he cared for them. Okay, Luke, that leads to verse 29, the famous part about turning the other cheek. To be honest, no one has ever slapped me before, or at least not since I was a kid on the playground. So I don't think much about getting my cheek slapped or punched in the face, but I guess you said it's not just about physical violence, it's about being insulted. Well, I've been insulted, and when I am, it's really tempting to insult them back. But when I remember Jesus' words, I do try to bite my tongue. 
the bigger challenge is that even when I've got a clamp on my tongue in my head, I'm still insulting them back. Changing my thoughts is harder. My heart wants to, to take revenge, to, to get even, to lash back. Luke, I wonder why I do that. Why do I feel such a need to, to strike back at someone who questions my honor or my worth? Maybe I'm insecure. Maybe I'm proud and, and my pride has been wounded. Maybe I'm more concerned about me than I am about them. But what am I supposed to do? Just sulk off with my tail between my legs? Is, is Jesus encouraging us to be doormats, Luke? So many questions. Sincerely, confused Bible teacher. Dear confused Bible teacher, these are good reflections. I think you're actually figuring this out. I want to address two points you raised. First, I like how you are moving from what your actions are to what is going on in your heart. Jesus was always interested in people's hearts. He once said, what good is it to clean the outside of the dish and leave the inside dirty? What Jesus meant is that if you change your outward behavior but don't address what's in your heart, then you become a hypocrite. What's in your heart is what matters most. And yet, Jesus also said, a tree is recognized by its fruit. In other words, what's really in your heart always shows itself in your actions. If you think you have a good heart, but you're treating people badly, then you're fooling yourself. That's why Jesus doesn't just say, love your enemies in your heart. No, he says, pray for them, do good to them, bless them, turn the other cheek. If you love them in your heart, you'll be doing these tangible things as well. And if you can't do them, then your heart needs to change. So one of the things Jesus' words here teach us is that we can have some pretty hard, nasty hearts. You used words like prideful, insecure, more concerned about yourself than others. To recognize that that's in your heart is a good step forward. It means you're taking Jesus' commands seriously. And when you fail at keeping them, you're looking to see what's wrong with your heart. I'd encourage you to confess to Jesus what's in your heart. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I guess the truth is my heart is prideful, selfish, and insecure. And as a result, I'm failing to love my enemies. Then ask Jesus to change your heart. Trust me, he will do it. As you know, I spent some time hanging around the Apostle Paul, accompanying him on his journeys. There was a man whose heart had been filled with arrogance, ambition, and self-righteousness. And yet Jesus utterly changed Paul's heart, making him so humble and loving that he viewed himself as only a servant of Christ, willing to suffer anything because of his love for God and his concern for God's people. Okay, but on to the second thing I wanted to say to you, confused Bible teacher. And that is that you asked if Jesus was teaching us to be a doormat. Telling us to slink away from our enemies or those who insult us with our tails between our legs. That's not what Jesus says. No, he says to stand in, to stand up, to offer the other cheek. That's not what a doormat does. Standing tall takes courage. It takes courage to stand your ground and engage. When you are secure in God's love, God's care, then you can stand there and courageously bear insults with humility. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't need to strike back and to tear the other person down to build back up your own ego. 
You can just stand there and look back at that other person with concern for them, not for you. As you know, the Old Testament was so compassionate. To uh, I, I missed a page of what Luke said here. Let me see. Oh, here it is. All right, where were we? Um, okay, Luke was talking about uh, you, you stand there, you look back at the other person with concern for them, not for you. And then, then he says, that's what Jesus did when he was on trial before his crucifixion, remember? I hope that helps. Sincerely, Luke. P.S. What about the rest of verse 29? Dear Luke, to be honest, I was trying to avoid the rest of verse 29, the part about the coat and the shirt. For me, it's one of the hardest verses in the Bible. Because I know that poor people back then only had a coat and a shirt. And if they were really poor and they needed to borrow some money or a tool from a wealthy neighbor, they might be forced to give their coat as collateral until they repaid the loan. And as you know, Luke, the Old Testament law was so compassionate to these poor borrowers that it required the rich lender to go and return to them their coat for the evening because the poor guy needed his coat to sleep in. It was the only blanket he had to keep warm. And so if I'm poor and someone is so nasty as to take my coat, I'm in a desperate situation and I've been victimized and I need help. And Jesus is asking me to let them take my shirt as well. What am I left with? I'm standing there shivering nearly naked. How could Jesus ask me to do this? I think he goes too far. Or maybe I hope this is just a hyperbole, an exaggeration to make a point. Please help. Sincerely, confused Bible teacher. Dear confused Bible teacher, if Jesus is exaggerating here to make a point, what's the point? Sincerely, Luke. Dear Luke, hmm, what's the point? The point is, I don't want to be a victim. It's not fair for some heartless person to take what I've worked so hard for, what I need to survive, and to leave me shivering in the cold. I have a right to defend myself. I have a right to protect what's mine. I have a right to hold on to what I've got. I demand justice. Doesn't Jesus care about justice? Doesn't he care for the poor and want them to be protected? Sincerely, angry Bible teacher. Dear angry Bible teacher, I didn't mean what was your point. I meant what was Jesus's point. But since you mention it, Jesus does care about justice for the poor. You probably remember earlier in my gospel, I recorded Mary's song where she rejoices that through Jesus, God was going to bring down rulers from their thrones and lift up the humble. God was going to fill the hungry with good things and send the rich away empty. Also, let me remind you of the scripture Jesus quoted to begin his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee, remember? Also, in the passage immediately before the one we are discussing, I have recorded Jesus's words. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. But woe to the rich. Woe to the well-fed. This is justice, don't you think? Sincerely, Luke. P.S. Are you rich or are you poor? Dear Luke, I apologize it's taken me several days to respond. In fact, the only reason I'm getting back to you now is because I've got a sermon to get done for Sunday. I've been thinking about what you've said, and it's a hard pill to swallow. To answer your last question first, I am rich, not poor. I'm not actually worried about losing my coat or my shirt. I have a closet full of both, to be honest. But I'm afraid, Luke, afraid of losing the right to hold on to what I've got. There are nasty people, unscrupulous people in the world who would unfairly take my stuff. And I want to protect what I have. But I thought about what you said and how Jesus promises that he is going to make everything fair. That he's going to care for the needy and make sure the victimizers get their just desserts. The truth is, Luke, the whole thing is further complicated by the fact that I'm not sure if I'm the victim or the victimizer. I live in a, the rich part of the world, Luke, in what they now call a global economy. Luke, you know when you lived how the Romans ruled the world and they controlled the economic rules of the game. Remember how they sort of tipped the economic table and so no matter how hard everyone worked, all the good stuff had a tendency to slide down to the Roman end of the table? And so Rome got richer and all the other peoples got poorer and it was all perfectly legal. It's just the way the economy was set up by those who had the power to make it that way. Well, our world is still like that, Luke. The clothes, or rather, um, I live at the bottom end of the table where all the good stuff flows. The clothes I wear, the goods I buy are made by very poor people. Some of them slaves, perhaps. Some of them children, some of them sweatshop workers who work in conditions I can't even imagine. I didn't ask for the world to be like this, Luke, but I haven't done all I could to change it. Am I the one Jesus blesses, or am I the one Jesus says woe to? I'm confused, Luke. And meanwhile, I'm very threatened that Jesus is challenging my right to hold on to the stuff I've got. I guess I just don't trust him. I guess I'd rather hold on to my stuff, my security, my prosperity than trust Jesus for what I need and for the justice that he promises. Sincerely, convicted Bible teacher. Dear convicted Bible teacher, those are vital questions for you to wrestle with. May God help you. Jesus cares a lot about this stuff. Let me ask you, if I may, is the part about the coat and the shirt the only part that really bothers you? Sincerely, Luke. Dear Luke, no, it's not. Because then Jesus says in verse 30, if anyone takes what belongs to me, I'm not to demand it back. And in verse 35, I'm to lend without expecting to get anything back. The truth is, Luke, that there are a couple people in my life who owe me a significant amount of money and have not paid it back when they were supposed to. Partly it's because they've experienced hard economic times, but I suspect it's also partly because they have not been as responsible with their money as they should have been. 
they have probably had fun with my money. They've wasted some of it. They've, I think, bought luxuries for their kids with my money that I wouldn't buy for my own. I'm a firstborn, Luke, and I was raised to be responsible. And if people want to be irresponsible, that's their choice, I guess. But when they do it with my money, it affects me, and it's not fair. They should be punished or something. How can Jesus tell me I should not expect my money back? How can he tell me if someone steals what is mine, I should not demand it back? It just makes me so angry. Sincerely, angry again, Bible teacher. Dear angry again, Bible teacher, it is worth remembering that all through the biblical story, God tends to pass over the firstborn to bless the younger child. Yes, firstborns tend to be responsible. They play by the rules. They do what is right. And then they look down on those who do not. And yet God has this tendency to welcome home the younger prodigal son instead. The one who has wasted the family inheritance. It's called grace. It's the principle Jesus' whole kingdom is founded on. God gives grace lavishly. He showers it on people who don't deserve it. He also expects his people to share that grace with others. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. God generously forgives all our debts. He asks that we do the same for others. You surely realize, dear Bible teacher, that it is not just spiritual debts God is concerned with, don't you? Don't forget about the year of Jubilee, which Jesus alludes to when he begins his ministry, when all debts are forgiven and all slaves are set free. Also, don't forget about the role of the kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament, whose job it is when a family member gets in trouble to buy them out of slavery or out of debt to save their property. God is our kinsman redeemer who has done that for us. Certainly, God forgives spiritual debts, but God forgives practical debts, too. And we, are, as his people, are to do the same. It's wonderful that grace hits our heart and our soul, but grace must hit our coin purse as well. The two cannot be separated. After all, when the prodigal son returns home, the father must forgive him to restore the relationship. But don't forget that the son has wasted the father's money. The father forgives the financial debt, too. God does the same. We do waste God's money, God's possessions, God's creation, don't we? And when we ask for forgiveness, God graciously forgives our debt. And so we are to go and do likewise, forgiving those who owe us anything as Jesus taught us. This is the triumph and the glory of grace. And it is upon grace that Jesus' kingdom is built and by grace that his subjects live. Does that help? Sincerely, Luke. Dear Luke, I guess this whole passage is an exercise in grace. I guess it has showed me how little grace I have in my heart. It's easy to talk about spiritual grace, but when you make it so practical, I guess I still live by works, by keeping the rules, by earning, by keeping score more than I do by grace. Luke, I need God to give me a more gracious heart. I can see what James meant when he said in his letter that God's word is like a mirror. When I take Jesus' teaching here seriously, it shows me my heart. 
Jesus tells me to live like he does, and my heart rebels. I see how little trust, how little grace is in my heart. I'm going to ask Jesus to give me more grace so that I can live out his way. Luke, I still have a lot of questions about this passage, like how Jesus' teaching here relates to self-defense and how it relates to war and how it relates to debt forgiveness in the majority world and how it relates to our justice system and to restitution of crimes. But for this Sunday, I think I'll just share with my congregation what I've learned so far from our, con our conversation. That will be plenty. Thank you so much. Sincerely, contrite but committed Bible teacher.